Hello, friends, and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rufert. And I am Steve McDonough. On every episode of But I Digest, we do a deep dive into a specific food or ingredient, pushing back the spiny barbs of its history, peeling back its prickly skin to reveal its heroes, and enjoying its juicy tart, hoopla. And today's food is pineapple. You always pause then like I'm about to say something. I've got nothing else to say. Like I'm I, like like you pause and I'm supposed to go pineapple. pineapple. I, th- I thought that's just, where like the chorus where you would do you know do a, a little little singy song. I've got there. nothing for you. I'm just listening. Hey, I got to tell you. So my son Finn, who's about to be 23, when he was little, he was a very early talker, um, which freaked a lot of people out because he could talk before he could walk. Um, <laughs> he couldn't walk the wall yet, but he could talk the talk. He um, he pronounced pineapples as eye popples. When he Aww. was little. Yeah, he'd say, I want eye popple. Oh, <laughs> so, I love that. Yes. In our family, we still refer to them as eye popples, um, which sounds yes. a little, yeah. So. Don't you love that? Yeah. Nate uh, used to say um, for pomegranate, he would call them pomegranates. <laughs> and I was like, the first one of you who tells him that it is not a pomegranate, I will hurt you. I love it. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I still say that. And I've never corrected him. He, I, I think he can say it now, but I don't test him because I still kind of love. But I mean, he's going to be 18. He shouldn't be walking around saying pomegranate. <laughs> Only around you. Well, my mother also cannot say that word. She cannot say pomegranate. She can say uh, like pom-poms, like a cheerleader has pom-poms. She can say the stone granite. So I'll say, okay, say pom-a-granite. She says pomegranate. And so she can say palm, granite, palm, granite, pomegranate. She cannot say pomegranate. And yeah, so we have a lot of fun with that too. I'll say, Mom, what is that on your countertop? You mean this fruit? Yeah, what is it? How do you pronounce it? Pomegranate? <laughs> she can't say it. Hi, Mom. Sorry, Mom. I just called you out. Uh, anyway, we are not talking about pomegranates or pomegranate. What did he say? Pomegranate. I love, I love it. Uh, extra points for the more uh, syllables you have in there. Or the, uh, anyway, uh, so pineapple. Now, I uh, I have to say in full disclosure, I am a huge plant nerd. If you haven't heard the show before, you, you know. I'm going to do – look, it, we are uh, doing this at what? what is it, 9 a.m. for me, 10 a.m. for you. Yep, yep. Every time you say plant nerd, I'm going to do a <laughs> shot. I'm not going to make it to the end of no, this No, you will not. Podcast. You will not. Because you always introduce yourself. You're always like, hi, everyone. I'm, I am a plant nerd. We're like, we get it. You always <laughs> tell us you're a plant. Next thing you, you, we know, you're going to tell us you're German. That too. Yeah, that too. What? So, well, I have been uh, spending the last several months building a greenhouse on the, at the back of my house, uh, specifically to house bromeliads. And bromeliads are a type of plant that pineapples happen to belong to. So um, part of the reason that this crossed my mind is as I'm loading my hundreds of plants into my now already too small greenhouse, um, I, of course, I've been thinking about pineapples. And the um, it's a big family of plants, the bromeliads. Spanish moss actually is a bromeliad. So Spanish moss and pineapples are actually first cousins, which is kind of hard to imagine. But the pineapple is the only edible member of the bromeliad family. Most bromeliads kind of live up in the treetops. They're epiphytes. They kind of grow up on the branches and they collect water. They have this sort of vase-like uh, you know, shape of the plant and they use the roots to attach themselves. So they're not parasites. They don't actually feed on the, on the host tree, but they just kind of use it as scaffolding. Um, but the pineapple is actually a terrestrial version of a bromeliad, meaning it grows in the soil, right? So, um, but otherwise, it's you know very similar to the rest of the bromeliads. Now, to me, the cool thing. Now, last time when we talked about pumpkins, we talked about the fact that a pumpkin is a berry, right? So, botanically speaking, it's weird to think of like what is this fruit? 
Well, a pineapple is also a weird fruit and that it actually isn't one fruit. Much like the fig, it is this cluster of fruits. Oh. Yeah, so it is It is uh, basically made up of one to 300 little fruitlets. And I love the love the name fruitlet, um, which the, the technical term, term sounds like a disease. It's called a cirrhosis, but not like cirrhosis of the, of the liver. Yeah. Um, which is basically this consolidated, fleshy, multiple fruit. So a jackfruit is uh, has that same kind of structure. Mulberries uh-huh. have that same structure. So do, it's, do you, I'm sorry, gonna yeah. gonna gonna sidetrack you. Do you know that we have a mulberry tree in the backyard? Do you yeah, know I remember story? that. I don't know the Did story. I tell you the story about huh. the story is that my mother comes, my English mother. We've got, when we first bought the house, we've got a mulberry tree, and it's a dirty tree. I mean, it just leaves these. Oh, yeah. You know, purple berries. And then you just track them into the house and they're like falling into the driveway. This kind of dirty tree just dropping mulberries onto the driveway. And I'm like, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan. And my mother comes over with, as soon as we bought the house. She goes, oh, these are mulberries. Oh, this is lovely. Dan will be certainly making something out of this. And I'm like, mom. Dan is not going to make any dish out of driveway berries. This is, I don't know what, what kind of lifestyle you think we have. Where we're like, it's time to harvest the driveway berries and make our driveway jam. Oh, I like, I like the driveway, uh, driveway berries. And, and, you know, not only are they messy on their own, birds like to eat them and birds uh, then make them the extra cars. messy. Yeah. Oi. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, round and round the mulberry bush, the monkey chased the weasel. What's up with that? So um, anyway, so uh, just like mulberries and jackfruit, uh, it a, a single what we call fruit is the result of hundreds of individual flowers that kind of ha- they share this base and it becomes this one big fruit. So I think that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. Now, a pineapple, once you have picked it, it will not continue to ripen. So I think there's always that kind of mistake. Wait, we what? Think. Yeah. So, uh, and actually the same with figs too. Once you pick them, they will not develop any more sugars. They might get softer over time, like the oh, texture Oh, right, because they're starting to- Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're decaying. They're starting to rotten. Yeah, exactly. Decaying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, okay. I always thought that meant it was ripening more, but it just means it's- Yeah, they're just, yeah, it's decaying, right? Oh, okay. You know? All right. Okay. So, yeah. It, so when you go to the grocery store and you think, well, I'm going to buy this rock hard pineapple right. and maybe it'll get sweet. It will not. It'll it'll get yeah. softer over time. But you really want to pick it up and kind of smell it. If it smells like pineapple, then it's ripe. You know, so that's kind of what you're looking for. But don't pick one uh, with the optimism that it's going to turn into something sweeter down the road. So if they're hard, are they not sweet? Do they Should they be soft? Oh, not softer. You're saying that it's more about the smell. No, like but the truly- more it's how how can you tell if it's going to be a sweeter pineapple? Well, again, it, you want it to smell like pineapple, and really, when they pick it, they, it should be a little bit squishy. I'm I'm pointing to that kind okay. of soft bit between my thumb and my forefinger. Yeah. It should have a little bit of give. Yeah, um, that's what you're looking for when you pick it. But then again, you know, sadly, most commercial fruit is picked based on how long it will store, how far it has to be transported. So, uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a little bit of a crapshoot when it comes to picking one, but go for smell. If it smells like a pineapple, you're, you're doing good. I'm the worst uh, at picking fruit. It makes Dan crazy. <laughs> fruit and vegetables. I just yeah. like, oh, here's one. And I put it in the cart and I keep walking. I'm just not, you know, I'm the, I'm just not that guy. And it makes Dan crazy because he's like, did you just buy this, these pears? I'm like, yeah, he's and he's like, 
They literally are filled with boll weevils. Oh, I don't. I didn't. I just saw pears. It's like, could you look at them? I'm like, no. no, I'm. And do you I'm, know that corn thing when people pull the. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't have yeah. time for that shit. Yeah. If you're one of those corn pullers, move over. I don't. I don't have time for this. Well, I'm. I'm on team like, Dan. What's going to be inside of it? Well, uh, if you buy it from the farmers market, worms. Oftentimes, you'll have a big kind oh, of corn. They're all corn. You pull it open. Guess what's inside? Corn. It's pull another one. You, you pull it down. What What are you going to find? Corn. It's corn. Spoiler alert. It's always <laughs> corn. Well, that one time you find a worm, it's gonna it's gonna surprise you. No, but I'm the guy in the grocery store that is that is like the rhythm section of the band. I'm thumping all of the melons to listen for the residents. Uh, so it embarrasses uh, Amy and probably other people have embarrassment for me. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm the fruit whisperer. I'm I'm spending some time in the produce section. I'm not just grabbing and running. So, right. uh, so yes, going going for smell. But again, it's not gonna get any sweeter once uh, once it's been picked. So. One of the cool things, where I always have to mention a Latin name. Uh, I'm going to have a T-shirt that says Plant Nerd, and then it'll have my name is in Latin. Uh, but the Latin name is Ananas Comosus. Now, if the word Ananas sounds familiar, it's because most of the world calls this fruit Ananas. Uh, in fact, there are 42 languages that refer to the pineapple as Ananas, and only 10 languages that refer to it as a pineapple or a piña. Uh, so we're in the minority when it comes to the pineapple. And uh, as I mentioned, or iPopple, which, uh, you know, is the unofficial name. Um, so I do want to talk sort of the etymology for a second, because uh, Ananas comes from a Tupi word. Now, Tupi were the indigenous tribe that lived in pre-colonized Brazil. Uh, and Ananas basically meant fruit, or particularly it was like a superlative, like an excellent fruit was a nanas. Uh, and so somehow when when the sort of conquerors, explorers came, they took that nanas and it became ananas. And it pretty much grows all over Central and South America and even in, in the Caribbean. Um, now, the word pineapple used to refer to a pine cone because the the fruit of the pine tree, they just referred to it as a pineapple. But because the fruit of the ananas looks like a giant pineapple, uh, Columbus, who was actually the, the first uh, non you know, non-European, uh, the only, sorry, the first European to experience a pineapple in recorded history. He said it looked like a pineapple or a pine cone. Yeah. Uh, and that's how the piña uh, got its name. Yeah. It's just totally, well, that's what it looks like. Also, it is it, um, is it pollinated by bees? Uh, hummingbirds. It's, it's pollinated by hummingbirds. Right. Do you know how I knew that it was not pollinated by, by bees? Because ananas is bananas without the b <laughs> that's very good did you did you Thank come up you. with that one i just made that up um that is awesome for all of you that just had to pull over for a moment just because your sides are splitting i'm sorry <laughs> just pull over to the side of the road give yourself a minute to breathe just to be safe yeah just to be ananas safe. are bananas without, without the bees. bees that's really good uh but you actually you answered a question that i had to research because i thought if Nanas means like a fruit. Then an ananas is the is this fruit. Then bananas, which is really the same word with a b, right. has to come from the same thing. But no, it actually that word comes from a West African uh, dialect, the Wolof people. Uh, they have the word for a banana, and it's banana with two a's in the middle, banana. 
um, and that came into English via Spanish or Portuguese. So actually, there's no relation etymology oh wise. God. Just when I thought I was finally going to get through a day without hearing about the Wolof people, <laughs> the Wolofs. here you are again with the Wolofs. I know it. That's the official language of Senegal, by the way. I had to look that up too. See, it's amazing how much you learn on this podcast, even when you're the host of the podcast. Uh, it is. It's so easy to go down these rabbit holes. I mean, it's, it is crazy when you start looking into these things. It is nuts. So. All right, so uh, Columbus actually called it the Pina des Indies because in he thought in the West Indies. Um, and they first, he and his crew first encountered this fruit on the uh, Caribbean island or Caribbean island of Guadalupe in 1493. Um, now, as I mentioned, that the name Pina in Spanish referred to the apple of the, uh, of the pine tree or the pine, we now call it a pine cone. And uh, so when he left uh, on his second journey, he was coming back to Spain in 1496. He was bringing back this whole host of treasures for King Ferdinand. And so he brought back on that voyage pumpkins, which we talked about, uh, tobacco, tame parrots, which I thought is pretty awesome that someone had tamed parrots back in 1496. I hope nobody ate them. Hmm. Yeah. Um, tomatoes came back on that journey and also several pineapples. Now, it was a long trek coming back home. Yeah. and only one pineapple actually survived that trip. The rest of them just turned to mush. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, that one pineapple was enough to launch this worldwide obsession with the fruit. So uh, when Ferdinand tasted this one surviving fruit, he was immediately smitten. And one of the palace tutors uh, recorded the king's reaction to this first uh, tasting of, the, of this fruit, of the ananas. Uh, and he says, the most invincible King Ferdinand relates that he has eaten another fruit brought back from those countries. It is like a pine nut in form and color, covered with scales and firmer than a melon. Its flavor excels all other fruits. Uh, so it's pretty, uh, pretty big praise there for the for the lone pineapple. Mm. And when he asked for a second one, they're like, tough. We don't, we don't have yeah. any more. That's it. You got to go back. Hold and on. Get we're going to we're, we're just going to be a minute. Yeah, exactly. Hang on. Hold tight. We've all, we've all, anyone who's ever worked in the service industry as a waiter and you're like, where's my, you know, the customer's asking, where's my meal? Um, the chef said it'll be about 30 seconds and 30 seconds can mean three minutes. It can be 30 minutes um, or it's almost ready. Wasn't almost ready. Uh, now there, there's so much history surrounding pineapples. I, I could talk about this all day. There are books written specifically about the, uh, the craze in particular in Europe of, around pineapples. Um, so I'm going to have to do some condensing here. Essentially, though, from the point 1496 when the first pineapple arrives, for the next 200 years, they are they become the most coveted piece of fruit and really become associated with uh, with opulence, uh, with uh, with hospitality, and we'll we'll get to that. But also, most importantly, with royalty. Uh, and so, in the mid 1600s, this French priest, Father Dutetre, wrote. To call the ananas the king of fruits, because it is much the finest and best of all that are upon the face of the earth. It is for this reason that the king of kings, a.k.a. God, uh, has placed a crown upon the head of it, which is oh, an essential mark of its royalty. That little clever monkey. That's right. Now, that actually kind of becomes even more important during some of these revolutionary times, the royalty kind of used, well, if if God made the king of fruits with a crown, I wear a crown and therefore I must. They used it almost like a further justification, like it was 
proof that we right. were, you know, given divine for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He who wears the crown. Um, so the pineapple became this uh, this king of the fruits. It really became like the symbolic manifestation of the divine right of king. So it's. Um, it, it was again appointed by heaven, so they so they spoke, and uh, they had they they sort of got this mythical status all across Europe, right? It was um, because the average person was never going to taste one; only royals had tasted them, and so it really became synonymous with royalty and exclusivity. and uh, And you saw you started to see the pineapple incorporated into uh, royal crests and in paintings and even into architecture. Uh, so the the whole the whole European continent went a, a little bit uh, crazy there. Uh, for the pineapple. And I, I read one sort of flex that King Charles II in the mid-1660s, he did this, I guess you could only call it a, a PR move. Uh, he commissioned a portrait of his royal gardener presenting him with a fresh pineapple from the royal garden. Yeah. But it was a total hoax because pineapples weren't successfully grown in a greenhouse for almost another hundred years. So this was like a staged PR thing when he was meeting with uh, with you know royalty from other countries. Here was this painting of his royal gardener basically flexing, saying, "We got pineapples," uh, yeah. and you know we got yeah, them, like the garden. So. I've seen that portrait. Gardeners on his knees, yeah, exactly up right. A, yeah, offering up a pineapple. Yep, but it's totally totally staged. It was uh, was not grown there. But the first uh, oh. green. Yeah. First it, greenhouse it was, grown. Yeah. Those of you guys, you Brits, you got to watch uh, a little, little, little sneaky at times. I was just thinking it was like uh, early Instagram. <laughs> you know, yeah. it tagged himself. Real. Shush now. Shush yes. now. That really is my butt. I didn't, I didn't Photoshop that pineapple in there. And this is my long curly hair. It's not a powdered wig. So um, 1723 was when the first successfully greenhouse grown pineapple uh, was, you know, was achieved. And they started making these very expensive greenhouses known as pineries. And they needed around the care, around the clock care. And they had these very custom built greenhouses had, it took mountains of coal to keep the temperatures high enough for the plant to set fruit. Um, the fruit itself takes about three to four years from the time that you, you plant the pineapple. So it takes a long time. And the cost of rearing each of those fruits in those pineries was the equivalent to about eight to $10,000 in today's money. Yep. So a greenhouse grown pineapple actually became worth more than one that had been, you know, sailed halfway across the world because it showed that you had the resources to actually be able to to master this this fruit. Yeah, the uh, pineapples at that time in England were getting six to eight thousand dollars each. Yeah. And, and a whole side industry, which I hope to revive, of renting pineapples came around and you didn't rent them. You know, nobody ate them. If somebody ate them, you would have to pay that money back. But it costs roughly a hundred dollars a day to rent a pineapple. And typically there was an optional insurance policy that you could take out. So it'd be one hundred and twenty five dollars a day. Um, and you were actually putting your own life in mortal danger if you were walking through town with a pineapple because thieves, that was seen as, I mean, yeah. it would be like a Fabergé egg or, you know, I don't know what the uh, modern equivalent is, Yeezys. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what right. uh, what the modern, but anyway, it uh, it really was insane that there were- Yeah, they would do big fruit pyramids on the yeah. center of their table with the pineapple at the top of it and they would rent them. Yep, and, they would rent the pineapple, and oftentimes the pineapple would start to rot, and so yeah. even after the the fruit itself would rot, they would keep the crown, which would sometimes last another two or three months. Uh, you can make a plant from that crown, and if anybody wants to know how to do that, I can point you in that direction. Um, 
But I just I think that's amazing, and I I feel like that we should uh, we should start the pineapple rental business up again because I I think we'd corner the market. I know of no one that's currently renting pineapples. Don't you think? <laughs> I mean, so we could undercut person. the market. We'd and go I in. am in the industry, and I don't know a single person renting pineapples. I know it, right? I think uh, I think there's an opportunity there if we we'll dig we'll talk offline. Um, so. Uh, the the other cool thing was in this same time, this is also about the time where the printed word starts. I mean, you know, uh, Gutenberg's press has already been around for hundreds of years. And and so people writing about the pineapple. So not only was there this sort of collective mythology, but the fact that it was being mentioned in, in texts and in books and in fictional works. I mean, so this, it became this, um, you know, almost it almost had its own godlike reputation. But the word pineapple became this uh, – it became – it entered the, the common dialect as a commendation, right? So, um, for example, my birthday party was a pineapple of the finest flavor would be what somebody would say to describe their birthday really? party. So pineapple became a, a you know sort of an adjective. Uh, in, 70, 70, in 1775, there was a play called The Rivals, and uh, don't yes. please don't use that on Stump the Straight Guy, but um, yes. there is a character who compliments another by pronouncing he is the very pineapple of politeness, uh, which I think is pretty awesome. So also we should bring that back into favor where we're – although, you know, pineapple, I think of it as being spiky and acidic. Um, I mean, sweet, yes, but I mean, you're – Different ways you could take that uh, that compliment. Um, anyway, the very pineapple of politeness. I thought that's oh, pretty good. Yeah. Um, so as colonization begins to spread, so does the production of the pineapple. So uh, it, it moves through time as being this ultra you know, coveted, very scarce, very rare fruit. Well, now as uh, the main powers so England and Spain and even the Netherlands are starting to colonize these more tropical areas, the pineapple becomes a little more common. And so you see it being grown in places like Indonesia and Thailand, uh, eventually even Hawaii. Uh, but, you know, if you think about what the cost of a pineapple is today, I think the last time I saw one at our local Kroger was like two fifty for a pineapple. Yeah. yeah. You know, so going yeah. from eight to ten grand to two fifty is is quite the, uh, you know, kind of how the stock market has been going lately. It's kind of that downward uh, curve there. But anyway, I uh, I'm proud that it is now available anywhere and everywhere. Um, it's great. It's a great ingredient. I've got a good recipe here in a bit. But uh, what's uh, you mentioned something earlier when well, I, I was going to talk about hospitality because yeah. when we first moved to Chicago. Uh, one of our neighbors came over with a pineapple, and I was like, all right, what's with the pineapple? I was like really <laughs> kind of hoping for wine. Um, but he said, a pineapple says hello. And he uh, he was doing an explanation of it. But it, you know when somebody says a phrase and it's like, okay, that is now in my head for the rest of my life. Yep. So when I see pineapples, I always think, a pineapple says hello. So <laughs> it's a it's an old form of hospitality and welcome. Um, so as as you're saying, like what was going on in England with the the dinner parties being the rented and uh, all of that, the cult of pineapples is growing. So it becomes a symbol that's representing wealth and good taste. So because of the shape of a pineapple being naturally kind of cylindrical, they lend themselves easily to millwork. So for gate posts and finials and bedposts and headboards, uh, weather vanes and copper and brass, they're stenciled onto walls, uh, molded with mortar onto the artifice of buildings. So if you look around, especially in older places, you know, really London, but, you know, kind of anywhere you are, if you look around, 
you'll see pineapples more often than you expect. And once you're looking for them or once you're aware of them, you're really going to notice it. Um, there's a stone house in Scotland called the Dunmore Pineapple. I saw a picture of that. That's it's amazing. Isn't it cool? Yeah. We'll uh, so this that. was John Murray. He's the first Earl, fourth Earl of Dunmore, which reminds me we were talking about the fourth Earl of when we were talking about the the monkey gland. Oh, yeah, yeah, we yeah. We were talking yeah. about the fourth Earl. That sandwich episode. Sandwich, yeah, yeah. Fourth Earl of Sandwich. Now we're in the fourth Earl of Dunmore. We only discuss fourth Earls here. <laughs> uh, John Murray was the royal governor of Virginia during the lead into the Revolutionary War. Uh, he was a, col uh, a colonialist, so he was fighting for the crown against the patriots, even though he was, you know, he was the royal governor of Virginia. And when he returned to Scotland, he built this summer home with this really large masonry pineapple room at the top. So when you're looking at this stone mansion, this huge pineapple on top of it is actually a room with windows. Wow. Um, now, uh, in New England, sea captains at the time when they got back from their voyages, wanted to show people that they were home safely, they would take a pineapple and put it on their gatepost, maybe spear it onto the gatepost. So it was kind of a, a a sign that they had been that they had gotten back safely. So him going back to Scotland after kind of being chased out of uh, out of the states, and him building this big pineapple could have been a dig at that. <laughs> um, so some other famous pineapples you wouldn't expect. Christopher Wren, you know, the who designed St. Paul's Cathedral mm -hmm. and a lot of the uh, the after the great fire of uh, of London, he was redesigning the churches. He in 1710 wanted the main dome of St. Paul's Cathedral to be a 60 foot pineapple. Wow. But he didn't do that. Now, there's these two towers. And on top of these two towers at St. Paul's Cathedral is not a cross. There's gold pineapples. Nice. Top of it, yeah. And this, I think, I'm going to go off the rails here because this, I just think, is an interesting character, and I, I got a bit lost. So Sir John Soane, S-O-A-N-E. Um, about 100 years later, Sir John Soane was another architect in London who did a lot of public buildings like the Bank of England. So he had two sons. The younger son, George, uh, was, as I, I saw this quote that said, he was a feckless ne'er-do-well. <laughs> now, nice. I I consider myself a fairly good writer, but I read feckless ne'er-do-well and I'm like, what am I doing with yep. my life? <laughs> Why am I not using words like feckless ne'er-do-well? I want that on a t-shirt as well. Plant nerd and feckless ne'er-do-well. No, you're not going to get it on a t-shirt. I'm putting that on your tombstone. <laughs> in, uh, so in 1815, after this feckless ne'er-do-well, George, uh, he got his sister-in-law pregnant. He was released from debtor's prison. And two articles were published that were basically condemning the English architecture of the time and very specifically the architecture of Sir John Soane. Well, John Soane's wife, Eliza, realizes immediately that her son, George, had written these about his mm. own dad. So she told Sir John, this is George's doing. I will never hold my head up again. This has given me my death blow. And wow. then, what do you think happened then? She she died. Oh, in no. two months. Wow. So the articles come out. She goes, this is my death blow. And she meant it. She wow. was not messing around, Eliza. She died within two months. So So never forgave his son for his wife's death, his mother's death, you know, the boy's mother's death. Sure. Never spoke to him again. He took the news clippings and mounted them to a wooden board and had painted on top death blows given by George Soane, and he nailed them on his dining room wall. Wow. 
So he never got over the death of his wife. And he designed the family tomb. And on this family tomb, there's a pineapple. So it's kind of an opened four-pillar space. So four pillars, not large, big enough to someone to stand in, like a, like a shower stall or something, right? And on top of it, it's capped with, you know, a flat, you know, roof piece. Right. But on top of that, the roof itself, a flat ceiling piece, I should say, and the roof itself is curved, right? Okay. And on top of that curve is the pineapple. But if you can picture it, these four kind of straight columns, kind of like a box with this domed roof, and you can see how Gilbert Scott used this tomb as the inspiration when he designed the English phone booth. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just thought that was so interesting. He makes this tomb and this other guy's like, I would make a great phone booth. And and uh, that iconic red English phone booth. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, uh, Dan, if you're listening, can we, if it's not too late, let's make Steve's um, burial site uh, maybe have one of the dwarves holding a pineapple <laughs> in one hand. So I know you've already placed the order. Lantern-bearing dwarves. Yeah, we have maybe one hand's a lantern. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, listener, yeah. go back to our very first episode. Because uh, I'm not I'm not planning Steve's demise, but we do have yeah. a, a burial we site. We have plans. We have plans, yeah. Long-term yeah, plans. Yeah, we've so. got plans. Lantern-bearing dwarves and uh, uh, like a, a dwarf or two with a pineapple. Yeah. Yeah. They're about the same height, I imagine. The dwarf pineapple. And pineapple. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. All right. So, um, but, it, you know, this idea of hospitality isn't all stuck in history. So it, it still appears in modern architecture. So uh, have you been to Charleston, South oh, Carolina? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah, they have, yeah, they, they have, that's kind of the symbol, isn't it? Yeah. It is. You, you're doing things with your hands. What are you trying to say? No, I was, I was, shaking. that was my, that was me miming a, a pineapple. The pineapple fountain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've uh, it, they've kind of used it as its unofficial mascot. They've got this really pretty spectacular pineapple fountain, one of the major tourist attractions. So, when we think of pineapples in the modern day, what come what name comes to mind? SpongeBob. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. I mean, I have we'll three kids. They all watch SpongeBob, and he lives in a pineapple. So that was where my brain went. So what Ooh, name? What? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so I graduated from the Cecil B. Day School of Hospitality, and they also kind of use that. So Cecil B. Day that started Days In, there that was about. But I'm not sure no, where you're. Pineapples. Leaving. Who who makes oh, pi- who grows goodness. pineapples? Gotcha. Who grows pineapple? Yeah. I thought you meant in symbolism. Uh, Dole. Bob yeah, Dole. Dole. Who's it? Bob Dole. Bob Dole. No, it's not no. Bob Dole. Uh, uh, but the yeah Dole. So let me say when I was doing this research, it was enlightening about the history. But I had my own mini lesson on how we are fed our history because mm. the initial articles I read about Sanford Dole pointed out that he was the son of a Protestant of Protestant missionaries and he was born in Hawaii. He advocated the westernization of Hawaiian government and culture. And after the overthrow of the monarchy, he served as president of the Republic of Hawaii. Oh, what a good guy, right? Yep. And then he traveled to Washington, D.C. to personally urge annexation of Hawaii by the United States. Oh, here's a guy who's really working for Hawaii. But then the more I read, the more I realize this guy is probably really a bastard. He was an imperialist who crushed the Hawaiian natives who got in the way of his income. Yeah. But and yeah, I was kind of like reading, like you're reading it and you're like, I think this is like the Fox News version of this, <laughs> like, you know, look at this great white guy helping out the the natives. No. So Dole is serving as a justice of the Hawaiian Supreme Court in 1887. And he plays a role in the Bayonet Constitution. The Hawaiian League, this league is all white, by the way, advocated the overthrow of the mon- monarchy and 
annexation of Hawaii by the U.S. because there's a, a Hawaiian king. Oh, wait till I have to get to his name and try to get through that. Here we go. <laughs> so it was King uh, Kalakaua. Kalakaua, because I looked it up. King Kalakaua. So the Hawaiian League came with rifles and armed members forced King Kalakaua to sign a new constitution at gunpoint. So that's why they call it the Bayonet Constitution. It undermined his authority, established a new legislator, took away native Hawaiian land, uh, and limited voting rights to people who met certain financial requirements, i.e. white guys, not Hawaiians. Mm. So when the king dies, his sister, uh, Lilio Kalani, became queen. Now at this, you know, they've just made her a figurehead right now, right? So by 1893, sugarcane and pineapple production in Hawaii was dominated by the Americans. They want to stage a coup to remove the queen because she's threatening their success. So Sanford Dole, this bastard, he leads other sugarcane growers to band together and form a group that they call the Committee of Safety. Now, does that not sound like something that's going on right oh, now? Oh, yeah, for you know, sure. What it, it's, you know, we are going to save the family by trampling on your rights, the Committee of Safety. So they enlist the help of the U.S. minister in Hawaii, 300 Marines to stage this coup. And in order to avoid violence and bloodshed of her peop people, Queen Liliuokalani, she steps down from the throne. She's put on trial for treason. She's found guilty, sentenced to five years of hard labor and placed on house arrest until she signs a document abdicating the throne. Did well, you know that? No, I did not know that. Why do we not know this stuff? Well, it's uh, it's the winner writes the history books, right? I mean, we, you know, right. we're trying to placate ourselves that, well, we did good. and we, But we see that same story all around the world, not just our government, but I mean, not to not to get into a political talk yeah. show here, but it does. It's sad. I was really. Yeah, I, I'm embarrassed that I don't know this. So she appeals to Grover Cleveland, you know, President Grover Cleveland. And he says, by an act of war, a substantial wrong has been done. All right. Grover Cleveland. Right. So he calls for the reinstatement of, of Queen Lulu Kalani. But Congress says no. So Dole who we know is, oh, this happy, yummy pineapple man. He's our grandfather with this big, big, big white beard. In fact, you talked about Spanish moss. Oh, yeah. There's a Spanish moss in Hawaii that they call uh, Dole's beard. Oh, wow. Because it's this white, fluffy moss hmm. that is imperialist and will kill you. So this is what I was talking about. Uh, I, I don't even know what's going on with, you know, I assume that Dole was just having dinner with Kanye West or something at this point. <laughs> so President Cleveland doesn't want to force Dole out of office, so he just lets him stay. Dole bides his time until Cleveland's out of his office, and he goes to President McKinley. So right before the 1900s, 1898, Congress uses the outbreak of the Spanish-American War for justification and votes to annex the Hawaiian Islands as a naval base and fueling mm -hmm. station hiding behind the Spanish-American War. Yep. So soon after that, uh, Sanford's cousin, Charles... Uh, his son, James Drummond Dole, he goes to Hawaii to make his fortune in Hawaiian coffee. Now, this is the Dole who really doles out the pineapples. <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying he's an imperialist bastard. He's just a businessman. And, you know, this is sins of fathers, grandfathers, all the rest, right? He's homesteading, he's homesteading in rural Oahu. He's having no luck with coffee and decides the soil is better to, uh, for pineapples. So he joins forces with a group of California businessmen. They construct a cannery and a packing plant in Oahu. 
1922, he purchases the island of Lanai, bought the island for a million dollars. Wow. At the time, million dollars, and develops it as a massive pineapple plantation, buys the island and says, this is now a pineapple plantation. So by the 1930s, Hawaii is the top producer of pineapple in the world. And at its peak, Dole and the island of Lanai produce 75% of the world's pineapple supply. Wow. Yeah. Which is why people assume that pineapples are from Hawaii, but they're not native to there at all. Much like the uh, macadamia nut that we talked about. They were brought there because it, Hawaii just seems to be perfect growing condition for obviously not coffee, yeah. but for a lot of things. Through our friend John Macadam. That's right, Macadam. <laughs> Uh, in the 1980s, uh, they learned it's much cheaper to produce pineapple, as you said, South America and Asia. Yep. So Dole left Hawaii along with Del Monte. They don't do it anymore. Hmm. Today, Hawaii's biggest commodity is seed crops. And number two is? Macadamias. Macadamia nuts. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I uh, – so the I actually met the kind of current – uh, rock star of pineapples is a guy named Chester Skotak. I met him back in 1996 at a World Bromeliad Conference, just to uh, establish <laughs> my nerdiness. Um, but he has developed in Costa Rica. You put the bro in Bromeliad, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's romantic. So um, he has developed a pink pineapple, and you might have seen it. It's uh, it's made. Haven't. It's been uh, kind of making the rounds, and I think we'll see it in as, as a pretty regular fruit within the next ten years. But it's beautiful, and it really checks all the boxes. The skin itself is is very red. The leaves on top are very reddish green, but the flesh is just a beautiful um, light, like pink lemonade kind of a color, and it's, really? uh, it's delicious. Yeah. So, uh, but Does that's it taste all different. Uh, it's super sweet, but I mean, does it's, it taste gotta... gayer? Because it sounds gayer. <laughs> no. It sounds like it tastes gay as hell it's uh it's delicious and uh, but that's all happening down in costa rica and costa rica seems to be one of the one of the hot spots now for um for, for gay pineapple. pineapples for gay pineapples <laughs> so have you been to hawaii and oahu no 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 we talked about it on the macadamia nut i still have not been to i hawaii. wasn't paying I need attention to what was your answer but uh, no i have not been thanks for rubbing it in again that i have not <laughs> thanks for putting pineapple juice in that open wound i've not been to, to hawaii well so we've been to Oahu and to the Dole Plantation there. It's one of Oahu's most popular tourist destinations. Started as a fruit stand in 1950. And now it's like this big plantation with train rides and a maze and all things pineapple. Um, but you talked about how great it is to have the pineapples affordable here at your local yeah. Piggly Wiggly. Well, when we went there, I was like, oh, you know, how, I bet the pineapples were like a nickel each at the Dole Plantation. They were like twice the cost of what they are here in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. It's the same ones, right? I mean, just right and fresher yeah. and fresher. But it's a tourist destination now. So it was I. so I did not buy a pineapple. That was just ridiculous. Um but we did buy the Dole Whip. Have you ever had Dole Whip? Oh, oh yeah, at, at Disney World, right? That's, That's uh, right. Yeah, man, that is so good. And the uh, there's a so if you don't know what a Dole Whip is, it's essentially like a soft serve pineapple, but right? But it's dairy free. Yep. Well, you can get the soft serve ice cream uh, swirled in, which is pretty fantastic too. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's just this, and the line goes around the around the block at Disney for a Dole Whip. Uh, yeah. And it's worth it. It's really good. Well, the Dole Whip was introduced at the National Restaurant Association show in 1984 when Dole took over at Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. They took oh, over yeah. as the sponsor. So they developed it for that. It's vegan. It's gluten-free. It's you know dairy-free, obviously. Uh, and they do an adult version with a little rum in mm. it. So it's 
I didn't realize it was a Disney thing because the first time I had it, of course, was on the island of Oahu. Oh, yeah. Once again, I was like, hanging in Oahu and I had it. I'm like, oh, do they have it at Disney as well? Can you uh, pass me that salt shaker so I can add some salt to that open wound? <laughs> no, no, I'm telling you, I'm putting the pineapple juice in it. You I know it. it. So inside a Dole Whip, is, uh, they use frozen pineapple, frozen banana, sugar, coconut milk, and lime juice in a food processor. Uh, and then if you if it's nice and thick, you use a piping bag to kind of give it that uh, soft serve little action. So if uh, it's a really easy recipe to make. And now, now I'd need to make it. And I'd recommend you just do a quick Google. Dole's website has a super, super easy recipe nice. for it. Nice. So here's your quiz. Okay. Ready? Yep. Quiz. Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? <laughs> it's SpongeBob. Yes. So uh, you you talked about him. I'm coming back to him. Uh, why does SpongeBob live in a pineapple? Hans Rufert. Oh, I, I, I don't know the backstory of why he lives in a pineapple because it's a pretty odd. I mean, the whole show is pretty wackadoo. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know that. Is it A, because a pineapple fell off of a ship? and landed in front of him or is it b because he likes the smell well scientifically i would think you wouldn't be able to smell it underwater but not that the show adheres to strict scientific uh, principles so i'm gonna go with it fell off the boat all right i gave you i threw you a, a favor i did you a solid the answer is a and b yeah. so on the episode truth or square a realtor is showing spongebob some property uh, when a pineapple fell, falls off a ship, lands in front of them in Squidward's garden, and SpongeBob says, it's perfect, I'll take it, and throws her a bag of money. So that's one of the reasons why Squidward doesn't like him. Got it. Yeah. And the other answer is that the creator, Stephen Hillenberg, uh, when he was designing it, he was working with all those Polynesian items that he thought you might find yeah. under the sea or, or just, you know, when he thought about what SpongeBob would pick for a home if he had a rock a pineapple, an Easter Island head, or an old rubber boot. He said the the answer was definitely the pineapple, simply because SpongeBob is an optimist and he would like the smell. Yeah, that is a uh, that's a show that you know. My, like I said, my oldest Finn is about to be twenty three. My youngest Heidi is eight, and so all three of my kids have watched SpongeBob, and so I. First, I'm like, what is this? But now that I've oh, watched it over yeah. the, I, it is so funny. And there's so many levels uh, of of comedy. Like there's some innuendo in there that's pretty deep at times. But it, as a young kid, they don't catch that. So I, I love SpongeBob on a new level that it's, uh, it kind of ticks all the boxes there. So Well, I didn't say it, but at the Dole uh, Plantation, they have like this big pineapple that you can stand in. Mm. Uh, and... Yeah, I, I, I don't think you're supposed to be SpongeBob, but I jumped in it and played SpongeBob, and I have a picture of that. I should remember to put that on Facebook. Yeah, you um, should. But it would be a good, um, you know. I mean, it, it, what you're saying about SpongeBob is true. It's fun. It's got adult kind of humor. You never know if it could like even be put to music with today's episode of Stop oh, no. the Straight Guy. I didn't see that coming. All right. Did you know that SpongeBob was made into a Broadway musical? Oh, I had no idea. Opened on Broadway in 2017. Hans, if you don't get this one, oh, no. I'm going to be tickled and you are going to kick yourself. I okay? know it. You will kick yourself if you don't get this one. Or Finn might kick you, actually. Yeah, yeah. Harder. So um, in the SpongeBob musical, 
Uh, the songs are written by Lady Antebellum, David Bowie, Cindy Lauper. Look at your eyes. Wow. The Flaming Lips, Plain White Tees, John Legend, Sarah Bareilles, Panic at the Disco. They all wrote songs for this. Steven Tyler. Wow. And this alternative rock band that was formed in 1982 by this Brooklyn-based duo. Look at you. You're concentrating now. You're oh, yeah, 82. I was at 10. their first concert, which was a Sandinista rally in Central Park, they appeared under the name El Grupo de Rock and Roll. But they discarded that name and picked up a different name, which is the title of a 1971 George C. Scott and Joanne Woodward film, which had originally been used by a friend of theirs who was a ventriloquist, and he decided he didn't want it anymore, so they picked it up. So in the SpongeBob musical, the song I'm Not a Loser, which is sung by Squidward, by the way, was written by oh my goodness and i'm 82 was right up my right up my musical alley there that's right when i was i was uh, into the police at that time and minute work um 1971 film george c scott uh oh you were gonna kick I, yourself i know i am you i am kick yourself. It's not devo you know um, this yeah, the the uh, the film references throw me off because I'm now I'm trying to think the of film who... references the hint. I know, but that's where I'm, I'm thinking too much of that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I want to cheat and Google it, but somebody will have to type in the, what it was. Oh, Finn is going to kick your ass. Yeah, he knows it. I'm sure. All right, so let's transition. If you know the answer to this, go to our Facebook page. Give us the answer of what this rock and roll band is who sang, uh, who wrote this song for the SpongeBob musical, and I will give you a thumbs up. Don't you? Are you Googling it? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm hands are up. I'm not. I will be. It. I will be. The second we, we hang All up, right. I will be. So go to our Facebook page. I'll give you a like. So let's transition um, as we wrap up from something that everyone loves universally to something that is very polarizing. You can't talk about pineapple dishes without mentioning... Pineapple oh, pizza. the pizza! Oh yeah. Did you did um did your kids see uh Inside Out? Oh it's, yeah yeah yeah. It's a yeah, Pixar yeah. film where they yeah, yeah. about the emotions. Really when good. Lewis Black plays anger, yep. and the little girl they were lived in New York, and then they moved to San Francisco, and the little girl's handed a piece of uh pizza with broccoli on it. Yeah. And Lewis Black says, "Congratulations, San Francisco! You ruined pizza. First the Hawaiians, and now you." <laughs> Yep, I remember that one. I but I will say uh, proudly that I can be on Team Hawaiian Pizza. Can you? Uh, I can, especially if it's fresh pineapple. I'm not a fan. I mean, canned pineapple's fine uh, in certain applications, but on a pizza, it's just too. Usually, it's too sweet. But like grilled pineapple on a pizza is fantastic. So where did I can you do think it. it was? Where do you think it was developed? Uh, I probably not Hawaii. Um, Canada. In Canada, wow. Yeah. So a, a guy named Sam. Panopolis, Panopolis, a Greek immigrant, moved to Canada in the 50s. He had a, a restaurant where he did burgers and fries, and then he went to pancakes, and then he played with Chinese-American food. I mean, his menu's a mess. It's no wonder he came up with pineapple pizza. So he and his brothers were just experimenting with salty, sweet. He used canned pineapple that said Hawaiian on the label, and that's where the name came from. So um, John Green, who wrote The Fault in Our, Star in Our Stars, yeah. the author, he said... Um, it's a Canadian invention by a Greek immigrant inspired by Chinese cuisine who put a South American fruit on an Italian dish. That's pretty good. It's a world uh, all over the map. We're swerving all over the map on that one. Pineapple pizza. So what are your thoughts? Can you can you handle it? Um, I, 
understand it, but I I I like it when people think about using barbecue sauce instead of the tomato base. No, the I agree. Tomato is too much acid. No, I agree. That's a that's a good point. The barbecue works really well with uh, with pineapple, which reminds me of uh, El Pastor. Have you ever had that? Where the uh, it's like a Mexican dish where they marinate the pork in pineapple yeah, juice, and then they kind of spit roast it and slice it. Yeah. And that was one of the points that I was going to mention. There is a digestive enzyme in pineapple that is only found in pineapple, and it's called bromelain. And bromelain is actually, it can be used as a meat tenderizer. It can be used as a digestive aid. Uh, and if you've ever eaten so much pineapple that your mouth gets sore, like you actually yeah, yeah. burn, yeah. it's because that enzyme is actually starting to break down the connective tissue in your mouth. Uh, now, oh. I, I mean, it, it is strong, and that's why they use it as a meat tenderizer, because it really does start to break down that connective tissue. Luckily, our stomach acid, uh, or your stomach acid, I don't have that, but uh, it, um, it sort of negates that. Um, so, uh, but I think it's kind of cool that that bromelain is actually used, like I said, as a meat tenderizer, but it's also used uh, in softening certain textiles, like making them more supple and pliable. Uh, and it's also yeah. used in certain cosmetics. And there's one... Um, sort of medically approved use for it, and that's for removing dead skin from severe burns. Um, so it's that's how powerful that enzyme is. It can actually break down um, burnt skin cells or whatever. So, um, wow. but I mean that that doesn't sound delicious. But my point being is that when used as uh, with with certain meats, pineapple juice or pineapple in general kind of helps break and tenderize it, which is pretty damn cool. Well, speaking of deliciousness. And hopefully not burned things. Why don't you give us your recipe? The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. So my mother's father's sister, which would make her my mother's aunt, my great aunt, uh, her name was Jonell, Jonell Sewell. Uh, we called that. her. Yep, yeah, we called her Aunt Joe. Uh, and Aunt Jo was this just crazy woman. I loved her to death. She's the one who got me into a lot of my science fiction, but specifically horror. She's the reason that I'm friends with Clive Barker because my my Aunt Jo loved Clive uh, and all of his books. She's the reason that I was inspired to go and meet him. I mean, so it's a long separate story. But uh, Aunt Jo was just this amazing character and she was lazy in the kitchen, but in the best possible way. So she knew how to make like throw it together kind of a things. And she made a pineapple dump cake. You ever had a dump cake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's a, it is a, uh, it's a, it sounds kind of, kind of, uh, you know, like a trash dish and maybe it is, but no, it's, really. it's four ingredients and it is always good. It is simply a box of yellow cake mix. It's melted butter, it's brown sugar and two cans of pineapple tidbits with their juice. Uh, and you are literally just dumping it all into a pan, which is why it's called a dump cake. There's no, yeah. there's really not much in the way of preparation. You put your pineapple on the bottom, brown sugar on top of that, the box of dry cake mix on top of that. You put your melted butter on top of that, throw it in the oven, and it comes you out. Don't like, even mix it. No, you, it's just wow. layered. I mean, you sometimes if if uh, you can kind of swirl the butter through if you want to yeah. get fancy, but it comes out this sort of crispy, crumbly, almost like a brown Betty uh, kind yeah. of a thing or a, or a cobbler. It is so good and so easy, and uh, I've never made it with fresh pineapple because the the whole point no, is right, right. Yeah, you go to the pantry, you get four ingredients, you and plop them in there. And it's got the extra sugar. 
Oh, you yeah. know, it's it's glazing itself that way when you turn it, is, it upside down. Absolutely. Well, this you don't have to turn upside down. This is not. I mean, oh. you, you, this is more like a spoon, uh, spoonered out kind of thing. <gasps> Warm uh, with some ice cream. Absolutely. I was going to say with some ice cream, or if you like the ready whip, it would be fine with the ready whip on top. Um, but yeah, it's it is so stupid simple, and sometimes we overcomplicate things. This is one of those. I don't know what to make. You got company coming. You make a dump cake. Oh, I'm I'm intrigued. All right. Well, I'm going to do a. Uh, this was such an easy one for me. We're doing pineapples. Uh, so I'm going to do our old Tom Pineapple Collins. Um, we've been so lucky with our staff at Hardy Boys in the restaurants over the years. We've had just some terrific people. And uh, this one bartender named Chris Samiak, and he developed this drink. It's an old Tom Pineapple Collins. So old Tom gin. So a Collins, first of all, is gin with lemon juice, sugar, and soda water. That's what a Collins is, like a Tom Collins. But the old Tom gin is one of the styles of gin that we discussed during mm -hmm. the gin, gin episode. It's a sweetened gin, fell out of style, came back with the cocktail resurgence. It gets its sweetness and flavor from licorice that's added during the distillation. But it doesn't taste of licorice, and they don't add flavors to it after the, the distillation. But it's kind of a richer gin, mm. and it works really well in mixed cocktails. Um, and you know those old ads with... Uh, advertising gin with a cat in there somewhere right. that, that would be old top gin so this is just uh and ransom gin which i believe is um uh it is um uh left in whiskey barrels for a while and it gets like this lovely kind of pink color is uh, that the name brand or is that the style yeah, that's the that's the name brand ransom okay. old tom gin uh that's the one that, that that's that's my brand i like that okay. brand a lot so it's uh just the old tom gin and a pineapple syrup in place of the sugar, a pineapple syrup with lemon juice and club soda. Um, so it's just like a Tom Collins, but you're using a more flavorful gin and a pineapple syrup. And it is so great in the summer. And if you have any of the pineapple syrup left over, you put that a little of that on ice cream or waffles, uh, substitute for honey. Um, and the pineapple syrup is really, you know, cup of cup. It's pineapple, sure. sugar, and water. It's easily done. So I'm going to put that recipe up. And uh, it's, it's a good one, although, you know, we're moving away from the summer. If you need a summery, a summery day drink, make make this uh, old Tom pineapple. Can I, and can I just interject as a listener to the podcast and of course as a, as a friend of you, I have learned so much about cocktails from you and it has really re-inspired me. Like, you know, growing up, like my dad would drink a scotch or whatever and drinking was just like a, you know what I mean? It was almost like you're checking a box, but you have really inspired me to expand my my techniques, to expand my bar. I um, I just love it. Like it's almost like I found a new playground, and I knew it was there, but I didn't really. I was kind of intimidated by it. But you have really uh, oh. excited me to to play on that playground. So thank, thank you. you. That's yeah. very much what I think both you and I do. Like when we talk about food, we're not trying to intimidate people. We're trying to get people to. Yep. Uh, to experiment on their own. And that's why my cocktails are never uh, uh, difficult to make because I want them to be accessible. I don't want you to be scared off by making your own bitters, which is why you are self-confident enough as a chef that you can do a dump cake 
You're not yeah. trying to impress people. You're like, right. try this. It's delicious. Yeah. And, and there's also the nostalgia. And, you know, mm-hmm. some of our best food moments are not about some guy in a chef's coat or some, you know, uh, smoke essence, whatever. It's about who's across the table. It's about the stories you tell, sometimes inappropriate. Uh, but also it's, you know, it's everything about that meal. And so when I have this pineapple dump cake, yeah, it's a simple four thing, but it reminds me of my Aunt Joe. It brings mm-hmm. me back to that time. And, you know, I love that. It's ephemeral. All right. Well, if as always, if you want any of these recipes, please go to our website, butidigestpodcast.com and get, get a load of these recipes. It's also a very pretty website, by the way. But also when you're there, you can listen to the whole song. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. Just listen to it. It's it's a little it's a little naughty and it's super fun. If you want to email us, butidigestpodcast at gmail.com, Facebook and Instagram, butidigestpodcast. Uh, also on our website, you're going to find a link to Hans's line of spices, as well as a link to download the cocktail book that includes the uh, the recipe I talked about, the New Old Bar. Special thanks to our web designer, Hewitt Rabel, to our editor, Natalie DeChico. Special music by Corey Goodrich, as I said. And our theme music is by Brian Reyes. And if you're enjoying our show, come on, man, help us grow. Leave us the rating. Tell your pals. Yeah, and that's that's how it grows, right? I mean, it's uh, it's not a big marketing machine. This is something we do for for fun and enjoyment, and we uh, we love the community that it's built. But uh, we need your help to kind of spread the word. Uh, speaking of spreading the word, I just want to mention it's still the month of November, which is Stomach Cancer Awareness Month, and uh, we're doing our annual fundraiser. This one is um, well, you know, again, doesn't matter what the theme is each year. The theme is we got to raise more money for research. So uh, if you, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it doesn't matter. Like again, again, for somebody with stomach cancer or a, a survivor, it's nice that we have a month to think about it. But really, it's every day of every month. And uh, so if uh, if you know somebody that's been diagnosed or you're, you want to learn more, go to gastriccancer.org and we appreciate any uh, any support you want to throw that way. Please do. Are we done here? We are done. Okay, okay, everybody, here's a little P.S. Hans, I want you to Google the answer because I want your response to our Stump the Straight Guy. It's a name of a group uh, using a 1971 George C. Scott and Joanne Woodward film, or you can Google SpongeBob musical, I'm Not a Loser, and find out what the name of the group is and see if you've ever heard of them. Oh, my God, of course, it's They Might Be Giants. Oh, my God. I've seen him in concert multiple times. I know. God. I was giving that one to you. Yeah, and you're right. Finn will kick me while he's wearing one of his many They Might Be Giants t-shirts. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. <sighs> and off. <laughs>